0: Our reading this afternoon comes from Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When the man saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And the man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you in the name of "'Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk.' And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Daily life was an inevitable cycle that could not be broken. You see, the man would wake up and, relying on the compassion of others, wait for the time when they would carry him to the entrance of the beautiful gate. Gentle hands would come and press in on his frail body, bearing his weight to the familiar place before moving on, rarely looking back at him. Laying at the threshold of the temple with only the dusty ground for support, the man would beg for alms. A coin tossed his way as he sought to simultaneously catch even just one friendly glance made in his direction or perhaps a snicker from a passerby, or a stride that just allowed someone to avoid looking him right in the eyes. This was the world that the man knew, and these were the relationships that carried him through every single day. And when they were ready, the man could expect to make it to the gate, and when they deemed the time was suitable, he would be carried home, He was wholly dependent to the charity and convenience of others just so that he could live. So I wonder if he would gaze at his legs with anger and disappointment when he was alone on the ground. These limbs that existed without purpose, mocking him as they extended in awkward directions while he sat on the dusty ground. His legs had betrayed him made him less than in a world that defined abled bodies as holy. This gate was the closest that he would ever get to the temple and its faith community, his faith community. The coins tossed in his direction and the hands that carried him, they were the only tangible representations of their religious beliefs that he would ever experience. And so on this exact day when Peter and John pass by the man, he probably expects little more than money. In fact, I don't believe he expects alms at all. He just hopes that they'll follow suit like those who had crossed his path earlier. So the man speaks up and asks and receives just one request from Peter and John, look at us. So intently the man looks at Peter and John, hoping to get at least a few coins, nothing more, nothing less. And then they immediately confess that they do not have silver or gold, they do not have money. So perhaps the man's heart sank, fearing that he was being mocked, called to look right at them so that his needs could be rejected before they walked away laughing at his misfortune. But what i have i give you they say in the name of jesus christ of nazareth stand up and walk and the man jumps up to his feet without hesitation joyously celebrating an even greater gift from the pennies clanging to the ground at his once useless feet without looking back at his daily seat by the beautiful gate or even picking up the pile of coins on the ground he moves purposely toward the temple He eagerly crosses the threshold that had once seemed like a wall rather than an entrance to him. Standing tall and proud, he dances and leaps among the familiar faces to praise God for the freely given gift of wholeness that he's just received. Friends, this is resurrection. This is transformed life that brought the man from the margins onto his feet and right into the heart of community. But here's my honest question for us today. I want to know if you're still basking in the glow of Easter resurrection. As our Sunday best has been thrown in the laundry basket and our days go back to normal, are the joy-filled alleluia's still hanging on your lips? Are you still celebrating that the stone was rolled away to reveal that the Prince of Peace had conquered even death by execution on a cross? Has the shining light of Easter been enough to carry you to this place only days later? Because if I'm honest with you this afternoon, and I'm going to be honest, I'm struggling. The promise of resurrection has too quickly been filled with all of the places that I do not see new life. The places where death has seemingly had the final say and transformation? It's like a dream. Maybe even an impossibility. I look around the world and I see brokenness and division. Political leaders continuing to wield their authority over others who can do nothing more than place their trust in the powers and principalities that hang over them. Perhaps like a noose. I see neighbors who hide from one another feeling more secure in life within their own walls rather than open to the possibilities of life together. Supposed laws for civility that only result in divisions in the treatment of people based on the color of their skin, where they were born or where their families were from or the religion that they practice fingers pointed outward to place blame on others rather than the inward reflection required to change the way we live as community together. And on this beautiful 80 degree day, a planet that's slowly dying, creation transformed by human hands into what's easiest and convenient for us rather than what we will feed and shelter the generations to come. I see people, and I include myself in this, who are selfish enough to see only what is right in front of our faces, relying on the work of our hands instead of relying on the Holy One who created those hands, who created our whole beings in the first place. And after reading the news headlines about Sri Lankan churches with hundreds dead, on Easter morning, I couldn't stop looking around my own sanctuary filled with spring flowers and choruses of Alleluia's still hanging in the air. I felt my own heart drop thinking about the transformation of sanctuaries to rubble. Not only on the other side of the world, but also right in our backyards, those burned to the ground right here, and only mere whispers of concern for the communities of color that once inhabited them. I didn't make it through Easter Sunday without questioning resurrection. Is this really what a resurrected life looks like? What a resurrected world looks like thousands of years later? Because if it is, it appears as though human brokenness is conquering the resurrected life of Christ. It is finished? Certainly not. Here's the thing, friends, we aren't Peter and John in this story. Sure, we show up and do what we can to offer assistance to others, but then we go on to the next thing, feeling good about what we did without really doing more than placing them on the threshold of what's attainable. We stock the food pantry without considering how we're complicit in the hunger of our neighbors. We criticize stories in the news in casual conversation, but do very little to engage others who disagree with us. We stand at an arm's length when it comes to issues of racism, sexism, ableism, and just about any other ism and division that we know of. We acknowledge their existence, but allow our complacency to leave action for another day. And let's be honest, unlike Peter and John, we don't really want people to see us, to look at us. We can't find it within ourselves to say, look at us, because if we did, the illusion would be gone. They would eventually see beyond our polished outward selves to the struggling, insecure, uncertain parts that linger beneath the surface. The facade would be pushed aside to expose the parts that we work so hard to hide. We don't want to see those parts ourselves. Why would anyone else? And the church, as the church, gosh, we are so quick to confess that we do not have money. (laughs) We talk about how our buildings are in disrepair, our resources are stretched to their limits, and our salaries just, we're not sure if they cover the time and energy it would take to do more, to be more, to the people whom we serve. We question what we'll have to give if we can't resource it, trusting in the things of this world rather than allowing ourselves to even just dream for a moment of what God might be calling us to do before we even utter the word no. The church just cannot be and do more than it already is, we say. We're just exhausted and stretched thin. Or we react like the crowd in the temple that day, recognizing the man with wonder and amazement, rather than joining in his celebratory dance. You see, I think the muscle memory of the church leaves us with scarcity and longing for more. If only we had more members. If only we had more youth group attendees. If only we had a young adult group. If only we had more young families. If only people would volunteer. And by this I mean like not bring their own ideas, but just lend a hand to do things as they've always been done. If only attendance in worship was higher or visitors stayed for fellowship and came back another Sunday. If only, if only, if only. See, Peter and John couldn't heal the man if they hadn't been whole themselves. They name exactly what they lack, knowing that that's what the man wants and needs but they don't let what they don't have define what's possible. They confidently give what they have, an invitation to the community shaped by Jesus' love for all people. They meet an unexpected, unvoiced need for the man at the gate, and as a result, they give him the ability to be a part of the crowded temple for the very first time. The man on that day, he lacked any kind of muscle memory that would have equipped him to leap up and dance into the temple. All he had known from his first breath was a life rooted in the ground beneath him, reliant on the compassion of others. But without even a moment's hesitation, he rises up and joins the two men who had placed their hands in his own. And he goes to the community that had once just passed him by. A few years ago along with the touring choir from Princeton Theological Seminary, I had the pleasure of visiting Bothell United Methodist Church, which is a suburban church outside of Seattle. Just a few days before Christmas Eve that year, someone tried to break into their building. He or she broke the front window, climbed through and made their way to the church office. When the glass was broken in the office, an alarm sounded and the person quickly left the building. So I'm guessing that the church leaders did what any of us would have. Called a Buildings and Grounds Committee to tell them of the break-in and pick up some brooms and sweep up the glass. They nailed plywood boards over both window spaces and maybe the committees went back and forth about the unexpected expense of replacing the security glass. And of course, they made plans for the future to better prevent someone from pushing their way in from the outside. Security would have been high on their priority list. But on Sunday, both pastors came before the congregation with this jar full of broken glass, and they said, this glass is from our broken windows. Someone tried to break into our church the other day. Whatever they needed, they felt like they had to get it in here. They needed something that we had inside. So they're now a part of our community. They're a member of this church. The congregation prayed for that unnamed person and the jar filled almost to the brim with glass stayed on their communion table as a reminder of the new member in their church. Days later, the pastor visited the intruder at the local police department and he shared that the congregation had been praying for him and that he was a welcome member of their community, no strings attached. I recently asked the church's pastor for an update, and Pastor Kim said this, Well, unfortunately, nothing more came from that specific situation other than a decision to change our alarm company. However, it did launch us into an all-church and all-neighborhood intentionality in supporting houseless folk. It's been a rough year trying to change culture, both in the church and in the community. For example, it all came to a boil when we allowed a guy to live in his RV in our parking lot. But because of that, we have an even stronger relationship with our police department who send people to us that they know we can support. And we created a community assistance plan, including a team and a fund designated best part. We got some non-church going members to be on the team with us. So I take it back then. The church and its members, all of us, we can be all of the people in this story. Sometimes we're like the unnamed people in the crowd, showing up to do what we can because it's all we have in us to give. Watching in wonder as the miraculous happens and questioning how it could be, how the world could change so quickly to a new reality that we never, ever dreamed of. Sometimes we're like Peter and John, journeying together with uncertainty of what the future will hold, but holding tight to the community that we've committed ourselves to. We humbly confess what we can and cannot do, all the while providing an invitation, celebrating that there's always room for one more. And friends, sometimes we're like the man born lamed from birth having little more inside of us than waiting for the empathetic touch of another person, or asking for the little that we need to just make it through one more day. But when we're given the opportunity to do more, to be more than what we thought possible, we jump at the chance, trusting that we are loved and known in community. See, resurrection, it isn't a moment. It isn't a miracle that will magically fix everything to life as it should be. Resurrection, it's movements, It's movement to a world that is ever inching closer to the kingdom of God. So we need all the people in this story then and now to see that the boundaries that we build, whether they be the beautiful gate at the entrance of the temple, or a solid wall at the border of our lands, or even the beautiful stained glass of our own sanctuaries, that none of these can hold back the abundant love of the kingdom of God. And so we approach the thresholds of this world and celebrate the incoming reign of Christ, whose spirit brings new life to even the most broken, divided and hurting parts of creation. Friends, we were made to see boundaries as doorways to new possibilities. May it be so.